Now, the last few weeks I've been teaching on the subject of responding in these times. We do live in unusual times. We do live in tough times, if we could say that. But God is bringing us through. Amen. And um, one of the things that was important for me, Jared Cooper did a thing that he shared as a prophetic word. He he just felt to share this, that the greatest challenge to the church in the next year towards the, you know, running out of 2021 into the next year, the greatest thing that they're going to have to face is the thing called fear. One of the things that he said was that our psyche is not designed to hear such continuous bad news. And one of the things that he spoke about was he began to just speak about that, for example, in England, every single day, so many people die of cancer, so many people die of heart attacks, so many people die of pneumonia, so many people die of this, so many people die of that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, ordinarily, we don't hear that. But I mean, every day, even in South Africa, tens of thousands of people are dying. Now, of course, with the COVID thing, and you know, and I may be them for them to justify a little bit of the COVID, that people are dying of other things, but then they just make it a COVID-related thing. So the figures are inflated. However, 20% of the population is getting infected with COVID. So a lot of those statistics fall in 20%. But even in that 20%, and in South Africa, it's over a 90% recovery rate. In the rest of the world, in America, for example, it's 98% recovery. So because of the continuous bombardment and the you need to have the vaccine thing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, there's a lot of resident fear in the hearts of people. Now, fortunately, God has given you a prophet. And uh, so, <laughs> so six weeks ago, I was already talking about responding to these times in faith. That was before the rioting and the looting. Amen. Prophet Andre Bronco says, watch out for August. Something's going to turn. There's a turning point in August. I believe him. But in the whole month of July, we were fasting and praying already. So listen, we're ahead of the curve, man. Really. But anyway, so I've been talking about the fact of faith from the Bible and understand that the Bible was written in tough times, Amen. hard times. And a lot of the New Testament was written with AD 70 imminently going to happen. The shadow of the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple fell across the people of New Testament times. So all the New Testament writers were looking at, that's going to be the end. That's the end of the world. Not now, then, AD 70. They were looking at that and saying, the end is coming, the end is coming, the end is coming. And they would talk about the persecutions, because in those days they didn't have democracy. They had empires conquering each other. You know, Roman Empire conquering this one, conquering that one. Then the Goths and the Visigoths and the Barbarians. And, and before that was Babylon, etc., etc., etc. Just come in and just wipe out. Rape, pillage, plunder, take and empirism. You know, and empirism died out. The last empire was the British Empire. But we had, you know, empires up until then. And those guys were ruthless and tough. There was no such thing as human rights. The only right was the person who held the biggest sword. You know, so it was tough times. It was hard times. But all of the Bible writers talked about the fact trials, persecutions. And listen, when they spoke about persecutions, it wasn't just somebody being nasty to me at work. And my boss doesn't like me because I'm a Christian. It wasn't that. It was, you're a Christian. We kill you because you don't hold to our beliefs. If you don't say Caesar is Lord, if you don't bow to the golden statue, off with your head. 
I mean, those guys face things. But yet Paul said this, when you are facing that, you've got to understand that what God is doing, He is purifying your faith. So you view testings and trials and persecution as the testing of your faith because God wants to strengthen your faith. Because faith is at the center of your Christian walk. If you take faith out of Christianity, you have nothing. You have no salvation. And so faith then becomes essential. Faith is the thing that needs to grow with revelation for us to obtain immortality. We will never step into it without faith. We won't experience the salvation of our soul. So the Apostle Paul, Peter, and Jesus all talk about it, James as well, talk about the fact that you welcome trials because if you respond correctly, the end is a greater degree of glory. Is that okay? So if faith is so important, and Jesus made the observation, little faith amongst the disciples, great faith amongst the Roman centurion. So there is extent of faith. There's smaller faith, there's greater faith. So last week I spoke about seven practical things to grow your faith. So this week, because I don't have much time to preach to you, I realized that what I need to do is just look at the foundation of faith. Something that you need foundational inside of your life before you can grow your faith. And what I noticed in my own life, and I noticed also in many years of pastoring, is that there are certain people, um, certain Christians, that find it very difficult to believe. It's hard for them to get faith concerning things. And yet you meet others, like ACF people. You meet them, and they've got quick faith. You know, they've got faith. It's amazing. We had a sister in the first service just sharing a testimony of how she's been diagnosed with cancer, but already the cancer count is going down. And she resolved not to tell anybody negative, only positive people. Because she wants to surround herself with people of faith. Now, Jesus did that. He said, all disciples go out. He took Peter, James, and John. He took faith, hope, and love and said, you guys come in because this girl's going to rise from the dead. Amen? And so faith is really important for us. So why is it that some have that quick faith? Prophet Quibus taught about it when he said, you know, the mustard seed faith. He talked about the fact that the mustard tree is of a group of plants called the synaptic group of plants. In other words, they've got quick responses, and therefore they grow very quickly. And so when Jesus spoke to the disciples and he said, why are you so slow to believe? He was talking about the synaptic process. In other words, he's talking about, hear my word, process it, and the result is faith. Why is that process so slow? Synaptic is quick response. Is that okay? And so I was meditating on it and I was studying it. And I found that there's four things. Why are there certain people, when they're confronted with something, their immediate response is faith? Not only faith, but a spirit of faith, which Paul tells us is a faith that speaks. Amen? The spirit of faith immediately says something. Because it understands people with a spirit of faith don't give this idiot box time to process negative things. So the first thing they do is speak something with their mouth to the situation. That's a spirit of faith. Everybody good? And so the first thing, the first thing that we need in place, and what are the foundations? The first one is a correct belief system. And that belief system can only come by the Word of God. That's why Paul said to Timothy, the good worker is the one that rightly divides the Word. That's why I don't believe in a rapture theology, because it's a theology of fear. And it looks at the future pessimistically. 
and fearfully, whereas the book I'm writing is called The Gloriously Triumphant Church. Because we win. Amen? The kingdom is going to grow and extend. There's no such thing as a rapture. We're not living in end times. We're living in the third world, which is without end. And what's coming upon us is the fullness of the ages, age upon age, to which we step into immortality, and then Jesus represents himself with us. Woo! Hallelujah. Okay. And so we need to correctly, so we need to get to the word, and our belief system needs to come out of the word. So our belief system then will give us a worldview from God's perspective that's correct, not from man's interpretation of the word. Our worldview, our understanding of God himself will be correct. Aren't you glad for the message of grace which came when we suddenly realized that God is good, not bad. We realize God is in a good mood, not in a bad mood. We realize that God was kind and not mean. We realize that God is gracious and not judgmental. We realize that God is our Father, not our judge. And so our view of God needs to come from the Word. But our view of ourselves needs to come from the Word of God. So if we've got the Word in place, if we've got the correct belief system, something happens. Number one, if we correctly understand God, we fall hopelessly in love with Him. Amen. Years ago, a couple came to the church, but first he came. She didn't want to leave the Dutch Reformed Church. He finally convinced her to come. In the first service, at the end of the service, she said to her husband, Man, I hate that man. I wanted to get up, walk to the front, and punch him. So now he tells me what his wife says. And I said, It's only because she doesn't know me yet. I said, Just give her time, and she'll love me more than you love me. I said, Because to know me is to love me. I said... That's it. And you know, to know God is to love God. 1 John 4 verse 8 tells us this. To know God is to love God because God is love. Amen. And so that then, that love of God, which Paul talks about in Romans when he says that God has shed abroad his love in our hearts. That's the reason why we have hope. And hope is a component of faith. We have hope. Because we love God and we understand his love for us. I have hope. Come on, the more you love someone, church, the easier it is to believe them. The more you love God, the easier it is to have faith in God. Is that all right? So the love of God. So a correct system of belief gives us a correct system of belief. And the second thing is, the more I know about him, the more I love him. And that's the reason then why I have hope. So the trilogy goes together. It's the trinity of faith. Faith, hope, and love. Those work together. So it makes sense that then there's a bedrock, a foundation of faith in my life because I've got the correct system of belief. But the second thing, or the next thing that comes out of this is thought processes. Correct thought processes. You know, a lot of people look at difficulties, trials, when a problem comes or whatever. And you, right then, I remember Yogi Bear used to say this when he was giving directions. If you walk down this way, he says, you'll come to a fork in the road. Take it. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a fork in the road. Take it. Okay, which one? You know. And so the thing is, whenever we're faced with a situation, our minds can go in one of two directions. Make it simple can either go down the positive path or it can go down the negative path. If you've got the correct system of belief, it will be a default. You will automatically always 
take the path of positive thought processes. Always. Always. You'll always figure out this is temporary because that's from the Word says that trials are. This is for my good because that's what the Word says. God is treating me as a beloved son and not an illegitimate child. And so your thought process will then determine your response. And your response will be confidence in Him who loves you. Your response will be to speak something against it. Your response will be not to allow negativity to then start circling around in the merry-go-round in your mind that you can't stop and you can't derail and you can't whatever because it's like a train going in a particular direction. So your default will be positivity. Is that okay? And so positive thought set. So you'll have a mindset that is sound and sober. And that's what Peter says. He says, the enemy goes around roaring like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. But he says about the Christians, he says, but be sober and be vigilant. And to be sober-minded is to be sound-minded. Is that right? So a sound mind is an antidote to fear because God has not given us a spirit of fear but love, power, and a sound mind. So listen, why does he put sound mind at the end? Because if you don't have a sound mind, you're not going to have love and you're not going to have power. And so that's why we wear the helmet of salvation as part of the armor of God. He's given us a sound mind. Is this okay? He's given us a whole mind, not a fractured mind, not a distracted mind, not a runaway mind. It's the helmet of the hope of salvation, the hope of salvation. Have I said enough about that? We need a correct system of belief because, first of all, it introduces us to Jesus, the lover of our souls. And, you know, you don't even need to say more than that, but we will carry on. And then, of course, the other one is that our thought processes will be so positive. Now, the amazing thing about that is that with these thought processes, before I go to the next point, is this, is that with these thought processes, one of two ways. There's two options outside of that. And that is for a person without faith, all your problems and everything is outside there, and it happens, and there's nothing you can do about it. You're a victim. You're a boat adrift without a rudder or a sail in a sea of problems, difficulties. The other thought process that is positive, that is rooted in correct belief system, realizes everything out is out of control there, but I'm in control here. And I can determine my responses. And very often that changes those things. Isn't that right? And even if it doesn't change that thing, at least it changes this. And then there's peace in the midst of a storm. Is that okay? And so there's not a broken heartedness. There's not a fractured centeredness inside of us. And so it does something for us. Some years ago, I did a teaching on faith. I revisited it, and they call it, the scientists did studies on a non-faith community, unbelievers, versus a believing community. And they discovered a massive difference, even in their personalities. So the study is the effect of faith on the personality. Faith in Christ will change your personality. Scientifically proven, studied in universities. So I read it. I studied the jargon and the whole test, the way they did it, so that I can preach to you. You don't have to go and read it. Is that okay? Amen. So, so one of the things they talk about is the locus of control. 
In other words, is it external or internal? Now, negative people, it's all external. Positive people, it's all internal. Because there's a control center inside me. Because I can control my thoughts, I can control my responses, and very often I can change the things that are happening around me. And so the second thing that comes out of it when I've got correct foundations and a correct belief system, the second thing is that springs out of that belief system that has a direct impact on faith as a foundation is this, that God is sovereign and God is in control. You know, the more I'm writing this book, and as I go through chapters, it's getting longer and longer, this book, (laughs) because I'm discovering incredible things. And the more I'm studying, the more I'm reading it, the more I'm seeing how God was in total control over the nation of Israel. But not only the nation of Israel, all the other nations. He allowed nations to come up, and he allowed them to afflict Israel or Judah later as instruments of his judgment. Is that okay? So when you see people prophesying today, thus saith the Lord, I rule with a rod of iron. Listen, he doesn't rule with a rod of iron anymore. He was ruling Israel with a rod of iron. Iron was Rome. So they prophesy things that they take out of context because they don't understand the Bible. So God is in total control. But right down to the individual. You look at Daniel, how God had his hand on him. Hey, so let's forget Daniel. What about you? What about me? God is involved in our lives. Is that okay? So the sovereignty of God. You know, he didn't just allow us to procreate and have children and it's random. It's like, oh, surprise, more kids, wow. You know, the Bible shows us that he's intimately involved with us and at the same time as being sovereign. And those two things are held in dynamic tension. God's outside of creation. You know, he's external to it, not in it, but at the same time he's in it. But he's imminent. He's Emmanuel. You know, he's God with us, God among us, amen? And so our belief system suddenly starts to do something that takes the remoteness of God and makes him near, takes the uninvolvement of God outside of his creation and gets him involved. But not only that, personally involved with you and me. So God's imminence and God's sovereignty. Let me just read a couple of verses for you very quickly. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 to 5, in the Amplified says this, talking about, you know, we've been blessed in the heavenly realms with a very spiritual blessing in Christ. He says, just as in his love, he chose us in Christ. Listen to this. Actually selected us for himself as his own. Before the foundation of the world. Talk about sovereignty. So that we would be holy. That is, consecrated, set apart, purpose-driven, and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us. And lovingly planned for us to be adopted to himself as his own children through Jesus Christ in accordance with the kind intention and good pleasure of his will. Can you hear sovereignty in that? He purposely planned to adopt us. I mean, that's really awesome, don't you think? So you weren't random. God didn't first hear about you at your dedication. You know, when we filled in your dedication certificate and God made a photocopy of it, something, he was like, oh, a new baby, oh my goodness, what are we going to do with this one? I'll have to come up with a plan, you know? So no, no, he purposely chose us. Ephesians 1.11, in him also we have received an inheritance. Now listen to this, a destiny we were claimed by God as his own, having been predestined, chosen appointed beforehand according to the purpose of him who works everything in agreement 
with the counsel and design of his will. Come on, man. Yeah, this is so good. You're not random. God looks at the world. God so loved the world. But he doesn't just have a corporate look. He has an individual look. Amen. Amen. He's the God of the one as well as the God of the multitudes. I mean, it's so powerful. You know, in Acts chapter 4, talking about, uh, quoting Acts chapter 2, when the council advised Peter and John not to preach in the name anymore and all of this kind of thing, when they healed the lame man at the gate beautifully, they quoted Psalm 2. And I'm just going to take one verse out of it, because he says, two verses, verses 27 and 28, Acts 4. For in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, the Gentiles being the Romans. So in other words, the whole then known world was against Jesus. So listen to this. To do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined before the creation of the world to occur. And so without knowing it, they served your own purpose. So is God behind our president? Yes. Is God behind the fact that Biden is now president in America? Yes. God is working out his purposes. He's sovereign. Okay. That's the big picture. Let's fizzle it down. Fizzle, fizzle, fizzle. Down to you and me. What about you and me? So I love it. Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a good man, a righteous man, are directed and established by the Lord. Amplified. When he delights in his way. Now listen to this. Watch me, everybody. Okay, so the steps of a righteous man or woman are all about Everybody watching? And he busies himself with his every step. Isn't that good? He busies himself with his every step, the righteous man. Come on, church. I mean, you know. Surely that's got to do something for faith in you, faith in God. Isn't that right? But let's just go a little bit further. Matthew chapter 10, well, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works out the good to them that love God and are called according to his good purpose. Is that right? Okay. So even if it's rough and tough and horrible for those who love God and are called according to his good purpose. So we've just read the verses. Are you called according to his good purpose? Yes, you are. So he works out everything for good. Come on, church. And then Jesus says this. Are not two little sparrows sold for a single little copper coin? And yet not one of those little sparrows falls to the ground apart from your father's will. I've got a bird feeder in our yard, and I put half an apple every day, two slices of bread. The crested barbets come. The black-collared barbet comes. The black-eyed bulbul comes. The, you know, all the birds come. The gray luris come. And uh, they come and they eat there. And often I'll walk out there to go and feed and I'll find a dead bird. And whenever I pick up a dead bird, I think of the scripture. And I think, Lord, here's a bird that's fallen, but you know about it. So he says, none falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. For the father is sovereign and has complete knowledge. Now, this he was saying to the disciples because he knew AD 70 was coming. So he says, so do not fear. You are more valuable than the sparrows. Come on, church. A correct belief system is so important 
You're not abandoned. You're not an orphan. You're not ignored. God is not angry with you. God is not trying to beat you up. God is not orchestrating those things just to get you. No, no, no. He's not doing any of those things. Out of this, out of this church will flow something else. Something will flow out of this. So we've spoken about a correct belief system. We talk about the fact that it introduced the knowledge of the word introduces us to Jesus. It is his love letter to us. And the more intimacy we have with him, the easier it is to have faith. Is that okay? I'm talking about foundations to faith so that you can grow it. So it introduces us to him. Secondly, it determines our thought processes and helps us to be in control. It introduces us to the fact that God is so much in control of everything that's happening in the world. It's not out of control. It may look it, but it's not. God is moving everything towards a point in history. Secondly, is that within all of the bigger picture, he's with me in this little picture of my life, completely. And then the other thing is, and this is where they talk about it in the scientific study, is that the direct impact on the personality of the believer. Now, remember what I said. They studied two universities. One was a Christian college and one was not. They studied, they did a study even between faculty and student, because the faculty would tend to be a little bit more, you know, not as simple in their believing. You know, they're too clever to have faith. And they studied and they found massive differences. One of the things that they found is that people of faith are positive. They're optimistic. They're not pessimists, they're optimists. There's nothing wrong with being an optimist. In fact, there's everything right with being an optimist. Is that okay? But one of the things that they discovered about this optimism, that it directly comes from faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So they were always then optimistic because they knew that what they were looking at was temporary, but that what they couldn't see was the permanent, that their faith was actually the substance of the things that couldn't be seen and the things that they were hoping for. Amen. And so that in the personality of these people, they were more optimistic. So they discovered that it made them more outgoing. They had a try it again attitude rather than a failure attitude. You know where I've tried it and it doesn't work, but let me try it again. They had a I don't fail kind of attitude. They also, they discovered that they were psychologically more balanced and more whole. They were mentally tougher than people who were pessimistic. They found also that they were more creative because a positive mindset is the seedbed for creativity. Negative people never created anything. All they did was create their own negative world and died young. You look at every invention. I think, was it so Isaac Watt, after like trying a thousand light bulbs or something, and they didn't work, or how many thousand? And when they asked him, he said, well, are you going to give up? He said, no, I've discovered more than a thousand ways not to make a light bulb. If he was negative, we wouldn't have these things. Is that okay, church? And also that they were, they were more productive. They were more productive because they'd get up and go, get up and go, get up and go. I'm, I can't fail. I'm not going to fail. We're going to do this thing. And so they became more optimistic. Very, very interesting that they studied this. And there's a, a lady by the name of Darlene Leatherwood. And th- that study was done in 1999. 
and she writes about it. And it's more than optimistic people are more than people that, oh, you like a half glass, half full kind of person. No, I'm much more than that. I'm productive. I don't take a setback as the final answer. I normally don't take no as an answer. But you know what I'm saying? No, we just pick up and get going. Okay? So optimism comes out of faith. Now that, that, that has a direct bearing on your personality. So the last point that I wanted to bring out from you is because of a correct system of belief, because they understood God and understood God's in control, the world, but also with them personally, they became optimistic people, positive people. And the other thing that they discovered in these people of faith, these Christians of this particular Christian university they studied, they discovered something incredible. They discovered they had really good, healthy self-esteem. And so self-esteem is an incorrect word for us in church. I just use it because we understand. But self-esteem is a measurement that psychologists use to see what you think of yourself, how you view yourself. So they give us those words. This person's got a healthy self-esteem. Now, the self-esteem thing that they discovered from the Christians was more like a Christ image of themselves. It was more of an understanding of who they are in Christ Jesus. If you understand who you are in Christ, it should give you confidence. Amen? Because if the person who matters the most in the whole universe, who is God, thinks so highly of you, it actually causes everybody else's opinion of you to fade into insignificance. Amen? And Paul said it like this, I'd rather please God than man. Because my esteem comes from him. My value comes from him. Because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, just as a human being. But I'm even more fearfully and wonderfully recreated in Christ Jesus. Because in Christ, I am the very righteousness of God in Christ. And not only that, but I'm made in his image and likeness. And so those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he chose. Those he chose, he justified, you know. And he chose us and he predestined us to be conformed to the very image and likeness of Jesus. Is that okay? And it's with that in mind that Paul says, if God be for us, who can be against us? If he's so for us that he chose me before I was even born and then set out his plan to conform me to Jesus, come on. You know, then I'm something. To him at least, changes my whole self view. If I realize that I'm in complete union with him. I mean, Christ and me are fused, welded, co-joined together. Because we co-died, we co-buried. I was co-raised from the dead into this newness of life. Then I was co-raised with him and seated with him at his right hand in the heavenly realms where we co-rule. Where we co-reign, where we co-operate with Him as fellow workers with Him. Come on, church. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. We're not orphans. We don't have an orphan spirit. A low self-esteem is an orphan spirit. Because out of low self-esteem and pessimism comes feelings of abandonment and loneliness. But Jesus said, I'm going, but I won't leave you as orphans. You're going to receive adoption Placed as sons alongside me. There's a good places to say amen. 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 And so he calls us um, royal priesthood. Royal priesthood. Ambassadors for Christ. 
He conferred us on the kingdom. He brought the kingdom to earth. And he said, right, now I'm going back, so I confer the kingdom on you. So we're kingdom people to rule and reign on this earth. So we looked at the verses. So every one of us has a purpose. Every one of us has a destiny. Every one of us has a plan. Every one of us is part of it. That's why I said body with many members. So you're not insignificant. You're completely significant. Now, church, if all of these things are in place as a foundation block, you can see easily, easily why it's the bedrock from which you grow faith. If these are not in place, you can try. But you will not be successful. You can try and confess. You can try and speak with the same spirit of faith and things like this. But if the foundations are not in place, which we bring from the word, a belief system that's there, when we have a correct understanding of God, when we introduce to Jesus and we realize that we are so totally loved and that we fall in love with him helplessly, when we see the absolute purity of his character, the absolute reliability of who he is, that there is no compromise in him, there's no shadow of turning, there's no darkness. When we understand that everything God says is fact, it's yea and amen, unchangeable, greater than the law of the Medes and the Persians. He's not a man that he should lie. Something begins to happen with inside of us. Our thought processes, the way this computer processes external stimulus coming at us, and it goes, Jesus, we're going to get through this. Instead of, Jesus, help me, we're going to die. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I remember somebody telling us they trained airline cabin staff, and these airline cabin staff were brand new. And uh, they didn't really know much about flying, but they'd never experienced it. But they hit one of those air pockets. And, <laughs> and they had to go back for retraining because they hit an air pocket. And these are cabin crew. And they started screaming at the top of their voice, Jesus, we're going to die. <laughs> so we hit air pockets in life. The Christians are going, it's air pockets, okay? The world's going to go, ah, we're going to die. We're going to go, no, we're going to live. Amen. So the way we face things, the way we process things. And something happens in the synaptic process of faith. Where, you know, the synaptic process is the way the electrical impulses flow down your nerves to your hands and things. And when that synaptic process is messed up, you can think it. But, you know, there's a delay process. It's broken and then you can't do what you need to do. That's very often which happens with strokes and things like this. But when the synaptic process is healthy, it's reflex. And when we've got all these things in place, the synaptic process that's associated with faith. And then Jesus looks and says, great faith. I marvel. It's awesome. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So we have the synaptic processes in place. We've got the foundations. Amen. Father, we just want to thank you that we are people of great faith. Father, we want to thank you that this is a place where sickness doesn't speak to us and tell us what it's going to do. Father, I want to thank you that this is a place of no failing, no, no disasters in the name of Jesus. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you. We can see how years, graciously, lovingly, by your spirit, you've been coming and just re-educating us, just changing our belief systems, adjusting them, Lord, so that we have the correct view of our Father. Father, thank you that you've adopted us as sons and daughters with a purpose, 
with a destiny. Thank you that you're a loving God, graciously involved. You first come and you send Jesus and you say, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. Then you say, okay, now, the steps of you righteous people, I order your steps. I'm intimately involved. Father, I want to thank you that fear has no place in us because you've given us a spirit of love and power and a sound mind. So God, we just want to give you the glory for that. And Father, I just want to thank you. And I want to pray on behalf of each one of us, Lord, that's here. Father, that by your spirit, through your word, that you'll just continue to teach us and train us about yourself so we can come into a richer knowledge and a deeper understanding. Paul said, my greatest desire is to become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him and to know the wonders are flowing out of his being. And Lord, out of this, to attain to the resurrection of the dead, even while the resurrection of the, the living, even while amongst the dead. And Father, I want to thank you that there's resurrection life coming to us because of it. Father, we thank you. Thank you that, Lord, our thought processes change. Thank you that, Lord, there's a positivity that takes place in us, that we are biblically optimistic about the world. Father, I want to thank you that fear will not be our portion, but we, Lord, with a spirit of faith, will always speak like those that we take our example from in Jesus' mighty name. Father, that it will have a direct impact on our personalities. Lord, we won't have any orphan spirits in ACF, anybody that's lonely or alone. Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Now, Lord, will you continue to turn your face towards us? Continue to put your grace upon us. Continue, Lord, to look at your people and set your favor upon them. Lord, will you continue to bless us, Lord, with health and healing and prosperity. Lord, will you continue to bless us, Lord, with progress and success in the name of the Lord Jesus. Will you continue, Lord, to give your people protection Lord, from everything that the enemy would try to bring about. Lord, would you continue, Lord, to give people breakthroughs. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, Lord, break those through right now who's struggling with COVID still. Lord, any symptom, any, any, if it's just weariness, Lord, I thank you for healing right now in the name of Jesus. Father, those of our number, those of our congregation, Father, Lord, continue, Lord, to protect them from the virus, but also bring them into healing of every facet. Those who've lost jobs, Lord, I want to thank you for the recovery of so many, the entrepreneurial ideas that you've given, the doors that you open for so many. Lord, you will continue to bless in Jesus' name. The Lord bless you in Jesus' name. And all the saints agreed and said, 